do you sometimes feel like God, you just feel him smiling when we worship him? Our scripture today is from the book of Luke, chapter 24, verses 1 through 11. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood before them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, Bruce. Hello, Faith family, all of you here in person and all of you online with us this morning. And I want to say thank you to the... This morning I checked. uh, Early this morning, 347 of you have completed the online survey which is awesome, and uh, today is the last day to do that. Uh, and uh, so if you need some help, ask somebody to help you, you know. Uh, the two info meetings that we have scheduled for August are already full, but we have three more uh, with plenty of room in September. And if you kind of forgot where you have the link to that, it should be in tomorrow's uh, Faith Connect email. So let's pray. Dear God, oh Lord, Thank you for revealing yourself to us in creation and in our consciences and in the Word. The story of your mission to rescue and redeem the world. Open our hearts and minds today to receive your Word and to receive Jesus, the Word made flesh. Come to us in person your full revelation. We pray in his name. And all God's people said, amen. I remember the first day of new student orientation at seminary. About 400 of us, first-year students, met in the chapel, and about 90% of us were men. During a break that afternoon, I bravely made my way up to one of the young women, And we had a brief but delightful conversation. She doesn't remember that moment, but I do. I even remember what she was wearing. Fortunately for me, I've gotten to see her nearly every day since then. My wife, Tricia, has a master's degree from Asbury Theological Seminary with a major in Christian education and a minor in missions. She has worked both in a church and in an international Christian ministry. Interestingly, when my youngest brother went to Asbury, he also met his bride there. 
So that school has been very good to our family. <laughs> Dan and Becky are both ordained in the Wesleyan Church denomination. The Methodist movement has always been in the forefront of uh, women in leadership. Uh, Susanna Wesley, Susanna Wesley, the mother of Methodism's founders, John and Charles, she was a spiritual leader in her own right. One time her husband, a pastor, uh, was in jail for his financial debts. She kept that family and all of those kids afloat, and she kept the congregation going as well. In fact, it, it prospered better under her leadership than his. Today's the third Sunday in our series, Don't Read the Bible. Uh, some people are beginning to misunderstand what that's about, but you know. And some of you, although are highly successful at not reading the Bible. Why do Christians not read the Bible? Well, here are some reasons that we give. I don't have time. The Bible is too hard to understand. The Bible is boring. I'm, I'm too lazy <laughs> to stay with it. And my pastor told me not to. Okay, blame it on me. But you know I really do want you to read the Bible, don't you? All right. This series is important uh, because more and more in our culture, Christians in the Bible are portrayed as what is wrong with this world. And in this series, I'm especially thinking of you young people. I don't want you to be caught off guard when others ridicule your faith, and, and they, they will do it. For example, you're going to hear that the Bible puts women down and puts men in charge. So, today's message, don't read the Bible unless you allow women in leadership. I want today's message to be an example also of how we read and understand God's Word. All over the country, you'll find uh, independent Bible churches that don't allow women in positions of leadership. Women cannot be pastors. They cannot serve on the governing boards. They cannot be Sunday school teachers if there are men present. And the reason for these, these policies, they say, is because they believe in the Bible. And they quote uh, verses like 1 Timothy 2, verses 11 and 12. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Open and shut case, right? Not so fast. I disagree with our fundamentalist sisters and brothers, but not, it's not because I believe the Bible less than they do. It's because I understand the Bible better than they do, hopefully. And let me insert something I've noticed over the years on many issues. Maybe you have too. Most people believe what they want to believe, and they don't need good reasons for believing it. Have you noticed? You know what I'm talking about. I, I see it in religion. I see it in politics. I even see it in the sciences sometimes, and I see it with Christians. If you want to believe that women should only have subordinate roles in church, you're going to find even weak arguments convincing. And if you want to believe that women should have equal roles with men in the church, it's going to take very little to convince you. 
But I try not to be most people. And I don't want you to be most people. I want us to to constantly challenge and test our beliefs and our reasonings for believing in them to see if they hold up to scrutiny. My aim is for us to be New Testament Christians and to put aside our biases as best we can. That's hard, I know, but that's my goal. I want to follow Jesus even when it's not popular, even when it makes me uncomfortable. Two weeks ago, I shared a rule for understanding Scripture that I learned in seminary from one of my, uh, my New Testament professor, C-I-E. Will you say it with me? C-I-E stands for context is everything. If you read the passage like the one that I quoted earlier from 1 Timothy, it would make a compelling case, apart from its context, against giving leadership roles to women. So, let's take a look at the broader biblical context, shall we? Genesis 1 speaks of women and men without hierarchy when it says, God created humankind in his own image. Male and female, he created them. In Genesis 2, God puts one particular man in a garden and then says, it's it's not good for him to be alone. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Now, our translation says, God made the woman out of the man's rib. A better translation would be that God took one side of him so that the man and the woman are two sides of the same humanity. This makes him his suitable helper. Now, if you are biased toward women being subservient to men, you would assume that helper would imply a subservient role, but you would be misreading it. The Hebrew word for helper is azer, and in the Old Testament, azer usually describes God. God is our helper. So it clearly does not imply a subservient role. In Genesis 3, the man and the woman disobey God and they receive the consequences for their actions. For the man, uh, the ground is cursed to produce thorns and thistles, um, leading to painful toil. He will have to work hard to fight the curse and keep the thorns and thistles from taking over. And for the woman, uh, one of the consequences of disobeying God is that despite her desire to be with her husband, God says, he will rule over you. Now, for the original Israelite readers, this explained the patriarchal culture they experienced. But remember, it's the curse, not the blessing. They will have to, just like with the thorns and thistles, they will have to work hard to fight the curse to overcome this tendency for men to rule over women. And while Israel in the Old Testament was still under the curse of a patriarchal culture, there were noticeable exceptions. One of those was a woman named Deborah. For a time, she was the national leader of Israel before they had a monarchy. Five women in the Old Testament were prophets, including Miriam, Moses' sister, They spoke the word of God to the people of God. 
In the New Testament, a woman named Anna uh, uh, meets Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus in the temple. Anna is a prophet, and she recognizes something special about this child and tells people about it. Also in the New Testament, we learn that the deacon Philip had four daughters who were all prophets. When, when, when Mary, sister of Martha, sits at Jesus' feet, it doesn't mean that she has a crush on him. It means that she was taking the position of a disciple, listening, learning from the rabbi, student. Jesus was unique in ancient Judaism in taking women as disciples. So let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 24. We're going to start with verse 9. Early on Sunday morning, a group of women gather to anoint Jesus' body uh, with fragrant spices. And when they arrive, to their surprise, the tomb has been opened. Some of them look inside and find it empty. And then they hear voices and they spin around and these two men wearing super white clothing are standing there. Now, I can imagine them barely able to contain their joyful laughter. They ask the women, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. I don't know. Maybe that's not the way it happened, but I like it. Anyway, on Sunday morning, uh, let's see. Now let's look at verse 9. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 men. And to all the others. They told him about the empty tomb and the message from the two shining people who said Jesus was risen. Verse 10 it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. So, according to Luke, there were at least five women, very easily more. In those days, the testimony of a woman was not considered reliable enough even to be admitted in court. The intelligence of women has historically been dismissed by men. It's part of the curse. So don't you think that God was chuckling just a bit when the first persons he sent to carry the message of the resurrection we're women. God's going, this is going to be so much fun. <laughs> and the reaction of the male disciples was, was just what you'd expect, verse 11. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. You know, if the gospel writers were making up the story of Jesus' resurrection, they would not have used women as the first witnesses. Too incredible. So why did they? The best explanation is, well, that's what happened. And then there's Priscilla, who along with her husband Aquila were teachers and leaders in the New Testament church, both in Corinth and in Rome. And then there's Phoebe, uh, the deacon of the church who carried Paul's magnum opus, his letter to Jesus' people in Rome. 
And very likely that means that she was assigned to read it aloud to them and to help explain it to them. What a huge responsibility. And then there's Junia, who along with her husband Andronicus, who Paul calls outstanding among the, the apostles. Eunice and Lois are honored for passing on the faith to their son and grandson, Timothy. Euodia and Syntyche were two women in Philippi, and call, Paul calls them his co-workers in the gospel. Chloe was likely the host of a house church in Corinth. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul's writing to Timothy, who's leading the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was also the location of a pagan temple to the Greek goddess Artemis. You know, Artemis reminds me of uh, Katniss in the Hunger Games. <laughs> you know, athletic, uh, excellent bow hunter. Um, the temple of Artemis was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And women were in charge. They were the teachers and leaders, and it's likely that some of them became Christians. And so when they did, they, they, could, they immediately jumped to the, you know, wanted to jump into the same positions they were in before, and, and in teaching and leading, and even before they really learned and understood what it means to belong to Jesus. But just like the men, the women needed to listen and learn before they were ready to teach. This historical context helps us understand these verses. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. Do not permit uh, a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Now, at face value, that's hard to hear. But these women were used to running the show, and while they're still learning about Jesus now, they must not usurp the authority of their teacher, who in this case is a man, and take over the conversation. And the phrase assume authority carries the idea of domineering. You could read it. I don't permit a woman to teach in a domineering way over a man. That would be the curse in reverse, wouldn't it? Verse 15 always surprises me. Why is it in there? It says, But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Now, this, I read this, and it seems like it's an odd addition to this paragraph. But it's a clue. It's a clue that some of the women in Ephesus had previously been part of the Artemis cult. One aspect of Artemis worship was seeking the goddess's favor to protect women in childbirth. And Christian women who had once prayed to Artemis may have been afraid that if they didn't call on her, it would put them at risk when delivering their babies. And Paul wants these women to not worry. The Lord is watching over them. So when we look at the context of the Old and New Testaments, we find all these examples of women in, in speaking and leading roles. And it's clear that passages like the one in 1 Timothy and another one in 1 Corinthians are addressing particular problems. 
particular specific situations. It's not giving universal commands for all women for all times. Historian Rodney Stark, in a book that I read a year or two ago, says about the early church, women were especially drawn to Christianity because it offered them a life that was so greatly superior to the life they otherwise would have led. Of course, if you read the Bible, you're going to find some terrible ways that women were treated. But remember, it's part of the curse, not the blessing. It's part of human sin, not God's promise. It's not the future God is leading us into. A few weeks ago, a friend of mine, Susan Sapp, gave the message here. Uh, I think it's the third time she's done that here. Uh, and uh, a few times, uh, I've invited one of our members, uh, Angie Washington, to do the same. And, uh, and our worship director, Donna Sandoval, has given the message here. Uh, Vicki O'Hara uh, does a lot of the funerals here. And I invite them intentionally because I want you to know that God has gifted these women. And we want to embrace their gifts. Back in the early 80s, a friend of mine, Carol Windrum, was one of your pastors. A lot of you remember Carol. She's the only woman pastor you've had. But I expect she will not be the last. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, teach us to rightly handle your word. We want to understand it in its full context. We want to read it from the viewpoint of the original writers and readers. Give us wisdom, clarity, and courage to follow your will and your word. Lord, forgive us for times when we have been dismissive of women, when we have regarded their strong leadership as unfeminine. Thank you for showing us the way forward beyond the curse to your promise, as you say in Scripture, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Jesus, thank you for letting us all be your disciples. And now I'd like to give us a couple of minutes to uh, pray silently. And during this time, you can bring to God whatever is on your heart, whatever word of thanksgiving or, or request that you have. And uh, you may pray where you are seated, or if you'd like to come forward, you can stand or kneel here at the steps.